Hi, welcome to Around Town, where we seek to discover insights into places, events, topics, and issues that you want to know about in our great city. I'm your host, Nick Berkfeld, with producer Chuck Luck. Today, we'll be talking with Melissa Key, the Community Relations and Annual Giving Director of the Buddy Holly Hall. Melissa, thanks so much for coming on today. Thanks for having me. What's your connection to Lubbock? I moved to Lubbock to come to Texas Tech in 1993 and started in the College of Agriculture. Stayed there, graduated with a degree in AgCom in 97. Fell in love with Lubbock when I moved here. What was it like, your first impressions of the city? Well, from Plainview, it was a lot faster. (laughs) Everybody knew everybody. And what I've learned about Lubbock is that Lubbock is a big, small town. Everybody knows everybody here, too. What I like about Lubbock is there's a lot more to do here, but you still know people. You don't feel like you're alone. What are some elements of your university experience that you reflect on now? When I was at Tech, I put myself through school. I really didn't have the cool college experience that a lot of kids got, but I still appreciated it. I worked full time. I worked at Whalers Bay. I worked at Scuttlebutts. I waited tables. Back when you could wait tables to get yourself through school, I took 18, 19 hours each semester. So I was pretty serious about getting my classwork done when I was here. And when you graduated, what did you think was next for you? I had no idea what was next. I went with my boyfriend at the time and we moved to North Carolina because he had gotten a job. We moved out there and I got a job at an advertising agency. I was out there for about four years, worked for a PR agency, worked for an ad agency, representing national and international companies, which was really cool because I got to work with RJ Reynolds Tobacco, with Canandaigua Wine Company. We got to launch Arbor Mist Wines, Moderma Skin Care for Scar. When I came back to Lubbock in 01, I had this really valuable experience that helped me start my career here. What were some of the motivations behind coming back to the city? At the time, I knew that I wanted to be close to family when I had a child. My mom is here. My sister was here. I have cousins here. And I grew up here. That was the motivation for coming back. What was it like to have family here? It was really nice. The thing that was interesting is when I moved back to Lubbock, I didn't know anyone. Everybody I had gone to tech with had moved away. My friends that were here from Plainview had moved away. I went to the Chamber of Commerce and I said, can you give me something to do? They put me on the Agriculture Committee. From there, I went to the Barbecue Committee when they started the Barbecue Cook-Off. So that's how I met my first people here was through the Chamber of Commerce. You mentioned the barbecue cook-off. Talk a little bit about that. I think when I started working on it, it was either the first or the second year that it was in existence. And it was really small. We just hoped to be as cool as the one in Amarillo because the one in Amarillo was really big. It was still downtown at the time and maybe just a couple of blocks. And I was only on it a year or two. They have done such a fantastic job growing that. Besides your work in the Chamber of Commerce, what were some other ways that you were engaging in the Lubbock community when you got back? When I came back, I got a job with the Texas Bull Weevil Eradication Foundation. At the time, the bull weevils were destroying the cotton. There was a previous rendition of that movement that did not go over well. So they scratched that, started over, had the farmers input. And of course, there were still some farmers who didn't want to have to pay an assessment, but it was for the greater good. Definitely now, but within several 
several years, the numbers of boll weevils had gone down drastically. I and another AgCom graduate were the producer relations specialist. And what that means is they sent us out to go talk to angry people. <laughs> Because the one thing about growers, they are respectful. They were raised that you treat a woman respectfully and you do not raise your voice at a woman. You do not try to fight a woman. And so we would go all over the state of Texas and visit with these really upset people, talk to them about the plan and here's what we're doing and here's why it's important. This is important for the cotton industry as a whole. And now in Texas, really there's just bull weevils down by the Mexican border because it's so chaotic down there. It's harder to control with political issues. But there's not bull weevils up here anymore. Our goal was to work ourselves out of a job, and we did that. Why was there such a reluctance within the farming community on that? Because it's West Texas, and we don't want to be told what to do. None of us want anyone telling us what to do. It doesn't matter if you're a farmer, if you're a stay-at-home mom. No one wants anybody telling them what to do, and it's that independent mentality. If you grew cotton, you had to pay an assessment fee to the Eradication Foundation. The foundation was in charge of spraying all the fields on a schedule. In the beginning, they sprayed all the fields. You know, of course, we had some people making outlandish claims that we were spraying Agent Orange everywhere. The best you can do is back it up with science and show them the difference between malathion and Agent Orange and that those aren't the same chemicals. Just to teach the public that actually this chemical is the same thing that the city sprays for mosquitoes. Once they realize that, they're like, oh, can you come and spray again? (laughs) It was a big education hurdle and fear because if you see a plane spraying a chemical, it's not unlikely likely that there's going to be some fear there. But as soon as the boll weevils were gone, they quit spraying and now they don't need to. You've oftentimes gotten involved in things that are much bigger than yourself, initiatives that require many people to be involved. Where does that desire come from? I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. I love Lubbock. And like we were talking about earlier, I see the potential for Lubbock to improve and to have better things, whether that's to have better art, to have alcohol, to have healthy crops, to have healthy people, to have healthy animal populations. We have a large enough city that we can have these things if we come together for the common good of Lubbock. Going along those lines, you helped to lead a very large initiative here in Lubbock to make Lubbock a wet city. How did that come about? Where was the thinking behind that for you? So the chamber was involved initially. The citizens of Lubbock, the chamber members told them they wanted them to lead the petition effort. But that's it. They didn't want them pushing forward. They didn't want them pushing against. They just wanted them to do the petition so the residents could have the option to vote on it. Years ago, when I was in college, I was just saying to someone, well, if Lubbock ever has a chance of going wet, I want to be involved. Having no idea what would come to fruition, I was involved in the petition phase. And then I think because I was a stay-at-home mom, they asked me, not the chamber, but some other local leaders asked me to lead this campaign because no one could fire me. My then husband, his job was not based in Lubbock, so no one could fire him. I lived in the country, so it was relatively safe. It made a lot of people angry. And I'm not an argumentative person. And I think in order to lead something like that, you need to bring people together and use facts and not just get people to argue and use fear. 
When you think about your life experiences up until that point, what were some things that helped prepare you for this experience? Nothing, nothing at all. It was, <laughs> um, I wish I could say that I was prepared for it, but I like people. I think that's what prepared me for it is I like people and I like to talk to people and I like to know what makes people tick and I befriend people easily. If anything, that's what prepared me because I didn't have any political skills, really. I really wanted this to happen for Lubbock. I still get tired of Lubbock getting made fun of for the things that we make national news for. I don't like it. And if this is one thing that we could scratch off the list that they can make fun of us for, then I wanted to be a part of that. And we'll be right back with Melissa to continue our conversation on Around Town on 89.1. Welcome back to Around Town. We're speaking with Melissa Key, the Community Relations and Annual Giving Director of the Buddy Holly Hall. Can you tell me the origins of Lubbock County wins? The chamber led the effort to get the petition signed, and we had to get almost 19,000 signatures in 60 days, and we got 33,000 plus in nine days. So that's when we knew that people definitely wanted to vote on it. That's when the consultants were brought in to help lead the effort. The kids on campus had been pushing for this forever and had called it uh, Make Lubbock Wet, which personally, I really preferred that better because it was more direct. You knew what it was. But the consultants, this is what they do. So Lubbock County wins. They helped us with a timeline. We started out in January, February. We kicked it off. We had a committee of, I don't know, 20 to 30 people of just community leaders who were not afraid to be on this committee. The focus of the committee was so they could tell people in the community what the facts were and just to show that there was professionals who supported the effort. A lot of people could not be on the committee because they were afraid for their safety. They were afraid they would lose their jobs. There was actually a large bank in town that quit the chamber when all of this happened, even though the chamber wasn't involved in the voting part of it because they didn't believe we should be able to vote on it. We kicked it off with a press conference. Man, that's when everything got ugly. That's when so many negative, scary stories started coming out. Certain preachers and leaders started saying ugly things about me. It didn't really bother me. People can say whatever they want to you. It really hurt my family. They did not like people saying those things about me, that I was in it for the money, which, by the way, I did it for free. It was a community project. I think someone gave me a thank you basket at the end that had like a couple of bottles of wine and some chocolate in it. But that's all I gained from it. And a T-shirt. I did get a T-shirt. Trying to dig into my family to see what financial gain we had from this, which was nothing because like I said, I was a stay-at-home mom. My husband at the time, his company was not even located in Texas. The opposition couldn't understand why I wanted to do this. And I wanted to do it because I was tired of Lubbock being made fun of and personally didn't want to take my kid to the liquor store to buy literally a bottle of wine to go with dinner. A lot of people felt the same way. I think our biggest positive attribute is that we stuck to the facts. There were never any fear tactics used. Gosh, we had to do 
a debate. I don't debate. You can say that your hair is purple when it's black, and I don't care. I won't argue with you. But we had to do a debate. It was the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. One of the guys of the opposition said we were going to become a fictional town, Pottersville, with sex workers in the streets and kids getting drunk at lunch because they would walk across the street to the grocery store and buy alcohol. They said all the drunk driving would go up. For every single one of those, we just refuted it with facts and didn't let emotion get into it. At the time of this going on, I was a tech student. I was one of those make Lubbock wet kids. Inside the tech bubble, we had no appreciation for the level of hostility that community members who were advocating for this were receiving. Where did you think that level of emotion, that vitriol came from on this topic? Maybe that they don't believe that people have the right to drink alcohol. Maybe it's against their religious beliefs because there were quite a few churches. I could watch them on TV on Sunday saying ugly things about me, which uh, was not fun. And people coming up to me in person and saying ugly things to me and writing letters to me that I was going to burn in hell. Part of the reason why this didn't take off previously is because every time Lubbock would try, their lives would get threatened. That was a concern that someone would try to threaten my life. I hoped that we were far enough in the 2000s that we were past that. We weren't, but we got through it. When I knew what a big deal this was is when I had CNN calling me, they were coming into town to do an interview. I knew they wanted to put me in a cotton field. And I was like, you are not going to put me on a cotton field. We went to Melissa Grimes. Her studio is fabulous. I said, Melissa, we're going to do this in your studio. So when people look at Lubbock, Texas, they'll see art. I want them to see art and something beautiful and not stereotype us. The CNN interview was done in her studio. I did an interview with The Guardian in the UK. AP picked it up. And so I have a copy of one or two interviews in all these different languages. Texas Monthly came here and did an article. I was bound and determined not to let them make fun of us. If they were going to talk about us, it was going to be for progress. What were your impressions of the fact that this did become such a globalized story? The only way I knew how to deal with it was with kindness. Anytime the media wanted an interview, I said yes. Sometimes that meant they had to come to my house in the country because my daughter was taking a nap. I answered every question. I never lied. I never put my emotion into it. I always tried to be as fair as I could because I knew that we were being watched. We were the largest dry county in the U.S., and I knew that. I knew that if this was going to happen, it had to happen now. They had tried and tried and tried, and I knew it had to be now or who knows when the next time would be. When you saw the 33,000 signatures collected in less than a week, Did that give you hope of the outcome of the election? No, it did not. Of course, you know, it's always the criticism that speaks the loudest. And so many people said, I am signing this petition because I want to vote no. And because so many of the churches in the opposition were saying such negative things, I was sure that people would fall for it. But They didn't. The first petition was to be able to buy packaged alcohol sales passed by 64.5 percent. 
And then the second petition for restaurants and bars not to have the membership cards anymore, that passed by 69.5%. I felt like I was worrying for nothing, but when you have that negativity chirping in your ear, that's what you hear. The voter turnout for this was historic by Lubbock standards. (laughs) Why do you think that is? Well, like the farmers, people don't want to be told how to live for this specifically. Just because you don't drink doesn't mean you can tell me not to drink. It's none of your business what I do. I think people were tired of going out to the strip. There were wrecks out there all the time. It was dangerous. Not too long before the election, like a highway patrol officer or someone was killed. I mean, just awful things happened out there because the least drunk person would drive out there from a party at 1150 to go get more beer and it wasn't safe. Those of us who had grown up around here and who have lived here for a while knew that it was not safe to go out there. In other cities, you could see that that wasn't the case, that all of these negative things were going to happen, that people go to the grocery store, they buy their hamburger meat and a pack of beer, just like the preacher made fun of me for saying, then they go on with their lives. It's not a big deal. After the election and the win, what did it feel like to see alcohol being sold in the city limits. Even now, I'll be in the store, and and if someone is standing in line ahead of me and they have a pack of beer, I'm like, "Mm -hmm. (laughs) mm-hmm. You know why you can do that? Of course, I don't say that, but I think it. It's one thing that brings us on par with big cities. It doesn't take away from us. And we'll be right back with Melissa to continue our conversation on Around Town on 89.1. Welcome back to Around Town. Our guest today is Melissa Key, the Community Relations and Annual Giving Director for the Buddy Holly Hall. After the election, in your career, you continued on to be involved in projects bigger than yourself. What were some of these? After the alcohol election, I went over to National Sorghum Producers. They had an election to continue their checkoff program. That was very successful. And then Covenant oversaw all of their centennial activities, which was really cool for me because I got to learn so much about Lubbock history. That was 2018. So I started researching Lubbock back from 1918 and the first hospital downtown and got to know some of the historical leaders in our community. That just cemented my love for Lubbock even more. So when that ended, I went to work for the Lubbock Entertainment and Performing Arts Association to do fundraising for Buddy Holly Hall. Because for decades, people in Lubbock have been wanting a very premier performing arts center. We used to have Broadway. Broadway quit coming to Lubbock because we did not have the facilities to handle all of the equipment that comes with them. For example, Hamilton that just came, they had, I think, 18 semis. I love live music. I love theater. It's not uncommon for me to go to Austin, to San Antonio, to Dallas all the time for concerts. And I was like, why can't these people come through here? So I was so excited when the leaders who did get together started the Buddy Holly Hall and LIPA. There was a lot of fundraising to be done because it was very important to everybody involved that it was community funded. So there's no tax dollars in it. There's several foundations here, the CH Foundation and the Helen Jones Foundation. They've put in a lot of money towards Buddy Holly Hall. 
And then there is an anonymous donor. He said, I will put in $20 million with the stipulation that it's named after Buddy Holly. Paul Bean, you know, who's been around Lubbock forever, he went to Maria Elena and said, hey, this citizen wants to give all this money, but he wants it to be named after Buddy Holly. With Maria Elena, in the past, people in the city had a tentious relationship with her. She loved the idea. She knew that this would continue his legacy. And with LIPA being a nonprofit, there wasn't anyone out to make money off his name. This was to carry on his legacy. What is so cool is that so many performers come here to Buddy Holly Hall because his name is on it, because they were inspired by him. And even though he's been dead for years and years and years, rock stars today are still inspired by his music. We work closely with the Buddy Holly Educational Foundation, which is in the UK. Together, the two of us have an event. It's the Buddy Holly Songwriters Retreat. And this has probably been one of the coolest events I've ever been a part of because we have these people come from all over the world to Lubbock for the art of songwriting. These songwriters are put together like three in a group when you're going to write together. And then the next day, it's three different people and, you know, anywhere from 20 to 30 people. They go away for the afternoon and they make magic. They come back that evening and they perform the song that they wrote that day. The music, the song, everything that day they just met. They just wrote this song. And it's so beautiful how music is a connector. Because they come from different parts of the world. They have different viewpoints. They're different genres of music, but they are put together and they create. Then at the end, the best of the best songs are picked and they put on a showcase. The show is wrapped up with all of them coming together to sing a Buddy Holly song. And then what's even cooler is after the fact, a lot of these musicians will collaborate. We've had musicians go over to the UK. We've had some of the UK musicians come over to the US. They'll continue to write together. They'll continue to perform together. That has been really, really special to see them further their careers with connections that they made right here in Lubbock. The fundraising for the Buddy Holly Hall, its construction has been completed, but there are still many more goals that y'all want to achieve. What is it that you are looking forward to and focusing on going forward? Well, we're still raising money to help pay for construction because it was important that the building get started. If y'all remember, the Baseball Hall of Fame was supposed to happen, and for various reasons, it didn't. Some people were gun-shy about donating. They wanted to see some progress happening. We went ahead and started building the hall, even though fundraising was still in process. So we still fundraise to pay for construction. We still sell personal seating licenses where people can get first right of refusal on their seats. My favorite is fundraising for education. Like I said, we have the Buddy Holly Songwriters Retreat. We have a Kodai Symposium. Kodai is a method of teaching music that choir teachers use. It's from Hungary. I'm not a music teacher, so I can't explain it very well. But we also have a theater camp for Lubbock ISD kids that is really, really cool. The kids come together for a week-long camp. At the end, they're broken up by ages, but they perform different plays. It's a really cute camp that they have. 
For this educational programming, was that always part of the original vision of Buddy Holly Hall? And what are some of the other elements that want to be built out now? Yes, education that is important to Maria Elena. That was really important to the board of LIPA. One of the vision of LIPA is to make the performance arts accessible to everyone. Another program we partner with our Broadway provider on is called Staging the Future. If you buy season tickets to the Broadway performances, a portion of that stays here in Lubbock and sends kids from underprivileged areas to go see performances. Tickets are, safe to say, are out of the price range for a good part of that demographic. We want everybody to be able to go there. For example, for Lion King, our goal is to send, I think, 2,000 kids this year free of charge. Right now, I'm hard at work fundraising to make sure that all those kids get to go watch Lion King for free. Fundraising now that the Buddy Holly Hall has been constructed versus before, easier or harder? Education is easy because people see the children up there and they see pictures and they see the thank yous that we get from all the kids. Fundraising terms, it's sexier. Buildings aren't very sexy. Education is sexy. Fundraising for education is easier and it's more fun too, but we still need money for construction. As you reflect on your experiences here in Lubbock and where you are today, could you have predicted any of this? No, because growing up, I was so shy. I remember when I worked at an advertising agency in North Carolina, we had a mixer and I went and hid in the bathroom because I didn't want to talk to anybody. I was too scared to talk to people. (laughs) So, no, the first board I was asked to be on by a friend. She's like, hey, do you want to join this board at Covenant? And I said, do I have to talk? And she said, no, you don't have to talk. And I said, "Okay, I'll do it. (laughs) So, no, my life has completely turned out differently than I thought it would. Your story is one of resilience and courage. For the young listener out there who's interested in trying to be different or do something different in their community, what advice do you have for them? I would advise them to start out with something small that they care about. If they're on campus and they care about animals, then get involved with doing trap neutering return for the cats on campus. If your passion is kids in foster homes, then go volunteer for CASA and help them with an event. The nonprofits around here are desperate for volunteers. If these kids will come and help and volunteer a little bit, that is an easy, easy way to get your foot in the door and to see if advocacy is something that is what you want to do, if that is something you're passionate about. For somebody who wants to donate to the Buddy Holly Hall's projects, how can they? It's super easy. You can go to buddyhollyhall.com and you can donate that way. My name is, again, Melissa. You can call me. I would gladly take your donations for a multitude of organizations. (laughs) Melissa, that's all the time that we have today. Thanks so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to Around Town. I'm your host, Nick Berkfeld. The show was produced by Chuck Luck. Our guest today was Melissa Key, the Community Relations and Annual Giving Director for the Buddy Holly Hall. Join us next Friday morning at 9 a.m. on 89.1. For more information on Around Town or to listen to previous episodes, visit ttupublicmedia.org.